Chapter Six of *The House of the Arrow* by A. E. W. Mason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: Jim Changes His Lodging. The library was a big oblong room with two tall windows looking into the court, and the observation window thrown out at the end over the footway of the street. A door in the inner wall close to this window led to a room behind, and a big open fireplace faced the windows on the court. For the rest, the walls were lined with high bookshelves filled with books, except for a vacant space here and there where a volume had been removed. Hanaud put back in its place the book which he had been holding in his hand. "'One can easily see that this is the library of Simon Harlow, the collector,' he said. "'I have always thought that if one only had the time to study and compare the books which a man buys and reads, one would more surely get the truth of him than in any other way. But, alas, one never has the time.' He turned towards Jim Frobisher regretfully. "'Come and stand with me, Monsieur Frobisher, for even a glance at the backs of them tells one something.' jim took his place by hanaud's side look here is a book on old english gold plate and another uh, pronounce that title for me if you please jim read the title of the book on which hanaud's finger was placed marks and monograms on pottery and porcelain hanaud repeated the inscription and moved along from a shelf at the level of his breast and just to the left of the window in which betty was sitting he took a large thinnish volume in a paper cover and turned over the plates it was a brochure upon battersea enamel there should be a second volume said jim frobisher with a glance at the bookshelf it was the idlest of remarks he was not paying any attention to the paper-covered book upon battersea enamel for he was really engaged in speculating why hanaud had called him to his side was it on the chance that he might detect some swift look of understanding as it was exchanged by the two girls some sign that they were in collusion if so he was to be disappointed for though betty and anne were now free from hanaud's vigilant eye neither of them moved neither of them signaled to the other hanaud however seemed entirely interested in his book he answered jim's suggestion yes one would suppose that there were a second volume but this is complete he said and he put back the book in its place there was room next to it for another quarto volume so long as it was no thicker and hanaud rested his finger in the vacant place on the shelf with his thoughts clearly far away betty recalled him to his surroundings monsieur hanaud she said in her quiet voice from her seat in the window there was a second point you said on which you would like to ask me a question yes mademoiselle i had not forgotten it he turned with a curiously swift motion and stood so that he had both girls in front of him betty on his left in the window and upcott standing a little apart upon his right gazing at him with a look of awe have you mademoiselle he asked been pestered since boris waberski brought his accusation with any of these anonymous letters which seem to be flying about dijon i have received one answered betty and anne upcott raised her eyebrows in surprise it came on sunday morning it was very slanderous of course and i could have taken no notice of it but for one thing it told me that you monsieur hanaud were coming from paris to take up the case 
oh said hanaud softly and you received this letter on the sunday morning can you show it to me mademoiselle betty shook her head no monsieur hanaud smiled of course not you destroyed it as such letters should be destroyed no i didn't betty answered i kept it i put it away in a drawer of my writing-table in my own sitting-room but that room is sealed up monsieur hanaud the letter is in the drawer still hanaud received the statement with a frank satisfaction it cannot run away then mademoiselle he said contentedly but the contentment passed so the commissaire police actually sealed up your private sitting-room that to be sure was going a little far betty shrugged her shoulders it was mine you see where i keep my private things and after all i was accused she said bitterly but annapcott was not satisfied to leave the matter there she drew a step nearer to betty and then looked at hanaud but that is not all the truth she said betty's room belongs to that suite of rooms in which madame harlow's bedroom was arranged it is the last room of the suite opening on to the hall and for that reason as the commissaire said with an apology it was necessary to seal it up with the others oh i thank you mademoiselle said hanaud with a smile yes that of course softens his action he looked whimsically at betty in the window-seat it has been my misfortune i am afraid to offend mademoiselle harlow will you help me to get all these troublesome dates now clear madame harlow was buried i understand on the saturday morning twelve days ago yes monsieur said anne upcott and after the funeral on your return to this house the notary opened and read the will yes monsieur and in boris wabirsky's presence yes then exactly a week later on saturday the seventh of may he goes off quickly to the prefecture of police yes and on sunday morning by the post comes the anonymous letter hanaud turned away to betty who bowed her head in answer and a little later on the same morning comes the commissaire who seals the doors at eleven o'clock to be exact replied anne upcott hanaud bowed low you are both wonderful young ladies you notice the precise hour at which things happen it is a rare gift and very useful to people like myself anne upcott had been growing easier and easier in her manner with each answer that she gave now she could laugh outright i do at all events monsieur hanaud she said but alas i was born to be an old maid a chair out of place a book disarranged a clock not keeping time or even a pen on the carpet i cannot bear these things i notice them at once and i must put them straight yes it was precisely eleven o'clock when the commissaire of police rang the bell did he search the rooms before he sealed them hanaud asked no we both of us thought his negligence strange anne replied until he informed us that the examining magistrate wanted everything left just as it was hanaud laughed genially that was on my account he explained who could tell what wonderful things hanaud might not discover with his magnifying glass when he arrived from paris what fatal fingerprints oh what scraps of burnt letter ah oh, but i tell you mademoiselle that if a crime has been committed in this house even hanaud would not expect to make any startling discoveries in rooms which had been open to the whole household for a fortnight since the crime 
however and he moved towards the door since i am here now betty was upon her feet like a flash of lightning Hinault stopped and swung round upon her swiftly, with his eyes very challenging and hard. "'You are going to break those seals now?' she asked, with a curious breathlessness. "'Then may I come with you? Please, please, it is I who am accused. I have a right to be present.' And her voice rose into an earnest cry. "'Calm yourself, mademoiselle,' Hinault returned gently. "'No advantage will be taken of you. I am going to break no seals.' that as i have told you is the right of the commissaire who is a magistrate and he will not move until the medical analysis is ready no what i was going to propose was that mademoiselle here and he pointed to anne should show me the outside of those reception rooms and the rest of the house of course said betty and she sat down again in the window seat thank you said hanaud he turned back to anne upcott shall we go and as we go will you tell me what you think of boris wabelski he has some nerve i can tell you that monsieur hanaud anne cried he actually came back to this house after he had lodged his charge and asked me to support him and she passed out the room in front of hanaud jim frobisher followed the couple to the door and closed it behind them the last few minutes had set his mind altogether at rest the author of the anonymous letters was the detective's real quarry. His manner had quite changed when putting his questions about them. The flamboyancies and the indifference, even his amusement at Betty's ill-humour, had quite disappeared. He had got to business watchfully, quietly. Jim came back into the room. He took his cigarette case from his pocket and opened it. "'May I smoke?' he asked as he turned to betty for permission a fresh shock brought his thoughts and words alike to a standstill she was staring at him with panic naked in her eyes and her face set like a tragic mask he believes me guilty she whispered no said jim and he went to her side but she would not listen he does i am sure of it don't you see that he was bound to he was sent from paris he has his reputation to think of he must have his victim before he returns jim was sorely tempted to break his word he had only to tell the real cause which had fetched hanaud out of paris and betty's distress was gone but he could not every tradition of his life strove to keep him silent he dared not even tell her that this charge against her was only an excuse she must live in anxiety for a little while longer he laid his hand gently upon her shoulder betty don't believe that he said with a consciousness of how weak that phrase was compared with the statement he could have made i was watching hanaud listening to him i am sure that he already knew the answers to the questions he was asking you why he even knew that simon harlow had a passion for collecting though not a word had been said of it he was asking questions to see how you would answer them setting now and then a little trap as he admitted yes said betty in a trembling voice all the time he was setting traps and every answer you gave even your manner in giving them jim continued stoutly more and more made clear your innocence to him asked betty yes to him i am sure of it betty harlow caught at his arms and held it in both her hands 
she leaned her head against it through the sleeve of his coat he felt the velvet of her cheek oh thank you she whispered thank you jim and as she pronounced the name she smiled she was thanking him not so much for the stout confidence of his words as for the comfort which the touch of him gave to her very likely i am making too much of little things she went on very likely i am ungenerous too to monsieur hanaud but he lives amidst crimes and criminals he must be so used to seeing people condemned and passing out of sight into blackness and horrors that one more or less whether innocent or guilty going that way wouldn't seem to matter very much yes betty i think that is a little unjust jim frobisher remarked gently very well i take it back she said and she let his arm go all the same jim i am looking to you not to him and she laughed with an appealing tremor in the laugh which took his heart by storm luckily said he you don't have to look to any one and he had hardly finished the sentence before anne upcott came back alone into the room she was about betty's height and betty's age and had the same sort of boyish slenderness and carriage which marks the girls of this generation but in other respects even to the colour of her clothes she was as dissimilar as one girl can be from another she was dressed in white from her coat to her shoes and she wore a big gold hat so that one was almost at a loss to know where her hat ended and her hair began and monsieur hanaud betty asked he's prowling about by himself she replied i showed him all the rooms and who used them and he said that he would have a look at them and sent me back to you did he break the seals on the reception rooms betty harlow asked oh no said anne why he told us that he couldn't do that without the commissaire yes he told us that betty remarked dryly but i was wondering whether he meant what he told us oh i don't think monsieur hanaud's alarming said anne she gave jim frobisher the impression that at any moment she might call him a dear old thing she had quite got over the first little shock which the announcement of his presence had caused her besides and she sat down by the side of betty in the window-seat and looked with the frankest confidence at jim besides we can feel safe now anyway jim frobisher threw up his hands in despair that queer look of aloofness had played him false with Anne Upcott now, as it had already done with Betty. If these two girls had called on him for help when a sudden squall found them in an open sailing boat with the sheet of the sail made fast, or on the ice slope of a mountain, or with a rhinoceros lumbering towards them out of some forest of the Nile, he would not have shrunk from their trust. But this was quite a different matter. They were calmly pitting him against Hanaud you were safe before he exclaimed hanaud is not your enemy and as for me i have neither experience nor natural gifts for this sort of work and he broke off with a groan for both the girls were watching him with a smile of complete disbelief good heavens they think that i am being astute he reflected and the more i confess my incapacity the astuter they'll take me to be he gave up all arguments of course i am absolutely at your service he said oh, thank you said betty you will bring your luggage from your hotel and stay here won't you jim was tempted to accept that invitation but on the one hand he might wish to see hanaud at the grand taverna or hanaud might wish to see him 
and secrecy was to be the condition of such meetings it was better that he should keep his freedom of movement complete i won't put you to such trouble betty he replied there's no reason in the world that i should a call over the telephone and in five minutes i'm at your side betty harlow seemed in doubt to press her invitation or not it looks a little inhospitable in me she began and the door opened and hanaud entered the room i left my hat and stick here he said he picked them up and bowed to the girls you have seen everything monsieur hanaud betty asked everything mademoiselle i shall not trouble you again until the report of the analysis is in my hands i wish you a good morning betty slipped off the window seat and accompanied him out into the hall it appeared to jim frobisher that she was seeking to make some amends for her ill-humour and when he heard her voice he thought to detect in it some note of apology i shall be very glad if you will let me know the sense of that report as soon as possible she pleaded you better than any one will understand that this is a difficult hour for me i understand very well mademoiselle hanaud answered gravely i will see to it that the hour is not prolonged jim watching them through the doorway as they stood together in the sunlit hall felt ever so slight a touch upon his arm he wheeled about quickly Anne Upcott was at his side with all the liveliness and even the delicate colour gone from her face, and a wild and desperate appeal in her eyes. "'You will come and stay here. Oh, please,' she whispered. "'I have just refused,' he answered. "'You heard me.' "'I know,' she went on, the words stumbling over one another from her lips. "'But take back your refusal, too. Oh, I am frightened out of my wits. I don't understand anything. I'm terrified.' and she clasped her hands together in supplication jim had never seen fear so stark no not even in betty's eyes a few minutes ago it robbed her exquisite face of all its beauty and made it in a second haggard and old but before he could answer a stick clattered loudly upon the pavement of the hall and startled them both like the crack of a pistol jim looked through the doorway hanaud was stooping to pick up his cane betty made a dive for it but hanaud already had it in his hands i thank you mademoiselle but i can still touch my toes every morning i do it five times in my pyjamas and with a laugh he ran down the couple of steps into the courtyard and with that curiously quick saunter of his was out into the street of charles robert in a moment when jim turned again to anne upcroft the fear had gone from her face so completely that he could hardly believe his eyes. "'Betty, he is going to stay,' she cried gaily. "'So I inferred,' replied Betty, with a curious smile, as she came back into the room. End of chapter 6